0: It's ad break time, I am pleased to announce the Beyond Solitaire podcast remains proudly sponsored by Central Michigan University's Center for Learning through Games and Simulations. And as usual, they are up to amazing things. If you want to improve your own skills as a game designer, you should absolutely sign up for Aloy Lasanta's upcoming class, The Art of Game Crafting, for your classroom, boardroom, or game night. The class starts October 9th, and Aloy is a great teacher. You'll also get credit towards a Certificate in Applied Game Design, which is offered as a collaboration between CMU and Gen Con. CLGS's latest game, 500-Year-Old Vampire, just finished a very successful campaign, but if you forgot to back it, you can now pre-order through Backerkit. The link is in the show notes. I also want to plug my own Patreon. Your support means a lot to me, both emotionally and financially. Patreon money is what makes it possible to keep improving my channel by upgrading the equipment, and I'm also hoping to increase the amount of videos I can publish over the course of the next year. If you want to help out, head over to patreon.com slash beyondsolitaire. For now, though, Let's get on with the show. Hey gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire. And I'm here on the podcast with two very special guests. Uh, I have repeat guest, Dr. Christiane Hintz, who is the director of Zenobia Award for round two and an all-round awesome person. How are you doing, Christiane? I'm
1: great, thanks.
0: Fantastic. And I also have with me Akar Baradvaj, who has been on my channel he has not been on the podcast yet so welcome akar uh, akar is also on the Zenobia board with christian and me and he is the illustrious first winner of the Zenobia award ever so how are you doing akar i'm
2: great liz thanks for having me
0: and uh i feel like we should just do like a quick recap about the Zenobia award before going into what we do with season two um so um the Zenobia award christian do you want to like tell people what it is in case they've tuned in and
1: don't know so. Sure. The Zenobia Award is a uh, contest and community and a mentoring system where we try to bring along um, underrepresented history tabletop game designers um, from their very basic idea, game idea, all the way up to prototype and testing. We take about a year uh, to help new game, develop, or game designers design their own original history tabletop game. Specifically, we're interested in um, centering the voices of underrepresented game designers. So that's essentially what we're about.
0: Fantastic. And Akar, you, you're getting to experience things from both sides because you were a contestant, and now you are uh, on the board. So um, do you want to kind of give people a sense of what it was like to be a contestant? And maybe actually an update on where everybody is, since you're still in touch with so many other finalists before we mm-hmm. go into what's in the future.
2: Well, it's funny you mention that, because I have some notes in front of me. So (laughs) uh, I've compiled a list of uh, where people have gone since uh, Zenobia 21. And uh, uh, if my information is up to date, we have uh, one game has been published. That's uh, Tendaya by Lolo Gonzalez. Uh, And we have eight more that have been officially announced for publishing. That's uh, After the Last Sky by Sobi Yusuf, uh, Boriken by Julio Nazario, uh Dutch Resistance, Orange Shall Overcome by Marcel Kohler. Uh Cartini From mm-hmm. Darkness to Light by Sheria Ioandini, Molly House by Joseph Kelly, Rising Waters by Scott Bloom, 10 to 1, formerly Liberation uh, Haiti by Damon Stone, and Winye Kause by Allison Collins. So um very excited about uh, all the production that's coming out of the last Zenobia iteration. Uh, and, and since, uh, since Zenobia 21, I've been developing, um, my own game, Tyranny of Blood, trying to, uh, refine it. It was, uh, I had to cut a lot of corners during the last contest iteration. So I'm polishing it now and, uh, I'm in talks with a, uh, publisher. And so hopefully you'll hear more about that soon. Fan. Say,
1: fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So when, um, Volko first came to me, uh, asking about Zenobia 21, and I, I joined the board, we honestly didn't know whether we would actually find contestants, people willing to participate. We, we weren't sure at all. The whole worry was, well, if we build it, will they come? And uh, to have had it go so well to have nine games coming out of this, and all of them are incredibly original and outside of the box, and not the kind of game that you normally see in a history tabletop game space, Like we couldn't be more thrilled to be trying to do it again um, and see whether we can do better than that. But that's how wonderful people, that's how hard people work. That's how wonderful people's minds are um, among, uh, you know, underrepresented game designers who don't often have a chance to uh, see their games come to fruition.
2: And Christian, I will point out uh, the final tally will be more than nine because there's a lot of people, including myself, who have not formally announced anything yet. So, Wow.
0: That brings me so much joy, truly. Uh, I really enjoyed being part of the process last time. Um, And actually, it's weird, my role in this is changing too, in the sense that, yes, I'm still going to do as much press coverage as possible because I can't help it. It's my nature. Um, But last time, I did not take on a role as a mentor because I felt like I didn't have anything to say about game design. And that has changed for me, too, now that I do consider myself a game designer and I'm actively working on game designs. So I'll be finding my own way in this process as well, because I stayed very far back from that last time. And now I actually, like, have experience to talk about. A lot of things have changed since 2021. Right.
1: Game design is <laughs> contagious. It's contagious.
0: Yes, it's y'all's fault.
1: I'm sick <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man.
0: So Akar, one thing you mentioned, um, you know, as you said, you had to kind of cut corners during the contestant process uh, and now you're fully developing the game. I feel like that's actually a great starting point to talk about what we're expecting from Zenobia in terms of the timeline, in terms of how far along we expect games to be by the time we're hitting finalist stage. Um, you know, what does the timeline look like this time? How different is it from last time? um and also you know what does all of this tell us i guess about the nature of the beast of this particular um competition and like what people should be expecting of themselves going in if they want to throw their hat in the ring
2: uh so i'll let uh, christian answer questions about the timeline but i I can talk about expectations a little bit i think um they kept expectations pretty broad last time and i think we're going to stick with that this time so People, a lot of people came in with games that were already under development. Uh, A lot of people came up with uh, just started games during the process. uh, Myself included, I didn't even have a topic picked out before Zenobia started. I kind of joined out of lark. Um, So I think I would not let that uh, discourage anyone from participating. You're not expected to have a full game going in, and if anything, you'll get a lot of mentorship and experience through the process. That will help guide you. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry if you're, uh, if you have an idea for a game, you haven't really developed it much, I would say just jump on in. Um, and Chrisanne, I don't know if you want to talk about the, uh, schedule. Well,
1: you know, I don't have the exact dates in my head and some of them are still floating very slightly. Um, but we were concerned, um, about making sure that the, the contest would make space for people who are coming in with a germ of an idea so to be competitive and also to have plenty of time to learn compared to people who came in with, you know, partial prototype or broken prototype, you know, people who had more time to work on their games. So we wanted to, you know, but we didn't want it to have so much time that it allowed people to kind of get lost or disconnected or disoriented. So, you know, the entire contest this year is about 13 months um, and that's partly because we straddle the holiday season and, and can't be very productive you know, across you know, Christmas and New Year's. Um, but it's essentially about two weeks to actually get into the contest. So the contest uh, opens October 1 and the window closes October 14. Within two weeks, we will have chosen our cohort and we'll begin with concept proposals right away. Um, you have about 30 days to make a concept proposal, which is less than last year, or Zen- Zenobia 21, um, by a whole month. So we wanted to shrink that, have people come up with a, a clearly articulated plan relatively quickly so that we could spend more time working on actual game development. The really heavy lift is making a prototype and writing directions and coming up with your mechanics, uh, you know, figuring out you know, the, the gameplay system. So that's about four months now with about a month for judges to play test. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after that, we'll go into, you know, uh, you know, the finals and then the ultra finals. Uh, Each of those are, you know, about a month each. Um, And that will take us to the very beginning of November. So that's about the timeline. Um, So it's, it's compressed in one way, in the sense that you know, uh, to make each benchmark, you have to really focus and work on it daily. Um, game design is not really uh, cramming; doesn't really work very well. So um, this is a matter of <laughs> Liz is going like, well, yeah, you can cram sometimes. <laughs> um, well, you may work. You may work in like in, in bursts. Even that's fine, whatever your process is, but um, steady work on, the, on this without getting distracted um, by life is very important. And I think, I think that, um, I mean, a car can speak to this better than I can, but it strikes me that it's um, a serious matter that's fun. It's a serious matter that is supported by mentors. It's a serious matter that's supported by a whole group, a whole cohort of people working together, talking together, commiserating together, giving each other ideas, stimulating each other in a very creative community. So uh, difficult, but um, all of us are in, are in the swimming pool together and therefore it's doable.
2: Yes, and I'd add the, the kind of nice thing is uh, the Zenobia process goes through in an iterative way. So you're not just starting off by making a game, you're starting off by doing research. You're starting off by thinking about your topic in a very methodical sort of way. So once you do that, you're gradually adding on more mechanics. Your game's going to be pretty bad when you start designing it. That's fine. Uh, And all of the judges and the mentors and everyone else, uh, a lot of those folks have designed games before. They know how bad these things are early on, how gradually over time uh, it gets better. At some point, you will sit down with your friends and you'll uh, show this giant box of mess. And you start playing through it. And you'll be like, oh, wait, this is a game. When did that happen? When did I design a game? Uh, and that's such a beautiful feeling.
0: So, yeah, I just kind of want to reiterate, you know, uh, Christian. Before we got fully on the air, you mentioned that somebody had expressed anxiety about feeling like they had to have everything together by the end of that initial application period. That they didn't have enough time. And one of the reasons I wanted to foreground this conversation is that you know, while this is not a, an invitation to submit something that's sloppy or poorly thought out, this is an invitation to submit something that is imperfect. And that is in transition. And that is still evolving. Um, Partially because I think that's true of any game, including games that are in very mature stages. Mm -hmm. And partially because if you're going to jump in and design a game, just jump. It's not going to be perfect. You're going to have a messy phase. Um, And we all know that because everybody who's on the board and everybody who's doing mentoring, everybody who's doing judging, somebody who has... Very literally been there. <laughs> uh, and so I kind of wanted to have this conversation as encouragement for people to give this a shot. Shoot your shot. Go and fill out the application if you have a game idea. Um, you know, we want to hear from you. We want to invite you into this process. And so do not let us make you feel or make let yourself make you feel like it has to be perfect and that there's some sort of weird pressure. Um, you know, come try, uh, and and that's what we want. And I think that also kind of leads into the next aspect of what we're really going for with Zenobia, maybe even more hardcore this time around than before, which is that the Zenobia Award is yeah, it's an award. It's called the Zenobia Award. It's also a community and a mentorship experience, I guess, and like a process. And so could y'all talk about that a bit more, um, a car in terms of your experiences so far and what you're hoping to create for new applicants and then Christian, in terms of how we've, I guess, gone about designing Zenobia round two. Mm-hmm.
2: So I'd say last time uh, we, we built a good degree of community. We had a Discord server for all the contestants, the mentors, the judges, et cetera. And there was a lot of communication on there I think, at first, um, a lot of people, myself included, were a little timid at kind of reaching out. And I, I don't know what we were nervous about. But uh, w- once we actually started talking to each other, I was like, oh, wait, everyone, everyone's community is great. And uh, we built a lot of camaraderie. And yes, like nominally, we are competing with each other. But I think most of us were in it because we want to see a bunch of great games on unique topics that have never been game before. and. If you so happen to make a nice game in the process, that's a, a nice little bonus. So I think this time we're leaning a bit harder on kind of peer mentorship. So uh, you'll have uh, a cohort of mentors, but you'll also be able to reach out to all the other contestants, uh, kind of talk about your topic, talk about your game design, and uh, get a lot of feedback that way. And the, the long-term goal here is to really build a community. If we're going to, change the hobby, improve it, broaden the topics that we game. the way to do that is to build a community around that. And I think this is a great platform to do that.
1: Well, I think that Akar actually um, covered it, mostly what I I would have said. Um, Something that's different about uh, Zenobia 2 uh, compared to the first Zenobia is that each contestant will have a pod, what we're calling a pod of uh, mentors. So each one will have access to two or three mentors to help them with their work, um, to give them various perspectives, um, to have bring with them various skill sets. Um, and uh, we will end up putting uh, each mentor's cohort, you know, each group of mentors, each pod will mentor, I don't know, four or five contestants. <clears throat> You'll have your own Discord server where you can work uh, together. Um, with your mentor, or in terms of talking with, talking through your ideas with your peers. Um, I know lots of uh, new game designers are very concerned that um, someone will steal their ideas, so they kind of sit with it in in secrecy or something like that, and nothing really happens in secrecy but suffocation. So um, creativity requires breath, breathing, speaking, sharing, talking, and creativity really blossoms in community as compared to when you're all by yourself in your lonesome game designers garret or whatever that is. Um, So we're trying to craft a space on Discord for you to have a small cohort of people that you've seen their work over time. And then when you, you know, if you're able to move to the next stage, the prototype stage, uh, you'll join a larger cohort of people who are engaged in the same stage. So at every stage, you're going to have a larger and larger, have a greater and greater access to larger and larger cohort of contestants. So the idea for sure is to give you as much access as possible to people in the game space, the tip game space, who have tons of experience, who are published, who are developers, um, you know, people who are, you know, names you may know, people you may recognize, um, so there's that kind of mentorship, but there's also the kind of community building, um, mutual mentorship because everybody, all of us together as a group know more than what one person knows. So, uh, we're trying to leverage that as well. And I'd say that's the biggest change between, or one of the big changes between Zen, Zenobia 21 and Zenobia 2, um, this iteration. Um, so that's how we're trying to build in, uh, community and mutual mentorship.
0: Yeah, I'm also excited about it because, um, you know, I think about this as a teacher and as somebody who's been in graduate school and had to get the attention of a professor from time to time. <laughs> um, you know, one thing that I experienced is, that, you know, I feel to this day closer bonds with the people that I was in school with than I do with the professors who taught us, uh, if that makes sense. Um, going through it together uh, was really formative for me. And it, I think was for the better in the end. But the other thing that I'm really hoping this pod setup is going to do is make it so that all of the mentors are able to give their gifts without putting undue pressure on any one person. Um, and also kind of allowing relationships to kind of form and breathe really naturally, um, you know, within that context. So I'm really looking forward to trying this and seeing how it'll go. Uh, And I also think that that is something that I want to emphasize too, which is that, you know, Zenobia itself is still pretty new. I mean, this is round two and we're working to evolve and we're working to make things better uh, time after time. Um, And so that means listening to feedback. It means trying things and making sure, you know, that we're getting it right as we go, being willing to change if we're not. And um, I think... uh, One, that's a good mirror for the designers themselves who come through the process. Um, But two, I think it's, we're trying to model what we're attempting to inculcate in others. (laughs) So what kind of changes have we been trying to make from Zenobia 21 to Zenobia 2 and Zenobia
2: 23? Uh, I would say the pod mentorship and the community building are the big ones. Uh, We've also been revisiting the calendar. um, And that part's been fun. As someone who participated as a contestant and is now uh, helping design it, it's a lot of the a lot of the decisions that seemed uh, stressful and curious last time. I'm like, oh wait, it actually makes sense that you're looking at it from the other perspective. Um, so I, I think I think participants will have a little more extra time, uh, a little more padding, so that they're not freaking out as much. Because uh, I don't know if there's.
1: Those are the answers I would have given. Those are the two major things. Um, there were several ideas that came up that we discussed uh, vigorously. Um, so Zenobia 2, as it's running now, is really the process of having unpacked what happened in Zenobia in Zenobia 21 um, and trying to figure out what worked, what didn't work, how can we make the process more efficient, especially for mentors. I mean, there's you know, more than a hundred volunteers who are involved in this process and they're all working for free. You know, they're just volunteers. So, you know, how do we make the volunteers work um, easier, more efficient so that they can give better feedback, you know, uh, have a better relationship with each of their their, uh, mentees. Um, So a lot of efficiency work has been kind of massaged into, into the system and we're still working on that.
0: The other thing that I, because I did help write some of our documents that are going to be going out to everyone, apologies to all applicants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that I also think that we changed a bit that I think is a good idea is that, you know, when we first pitched Zenobia, we wanted it to be underrepresented voices, but it was hard to express um, how or what we meant by that and so i remember getting feedback about like what about religious diversity uh what about you know ableism you know who counts as an underrepresented voice and i think that we've done it it kind of looks like we've left things vague but what i think we've really done is left room in the application for applicants to define what they mean by underrepresented voice when they say that they need more representation and that they, that they need what Zenobia has to offer. Um, so does it, do y'all have any comments about like that aspect of our thinking and how we've adjusted it?
1: Well, I think it's a relief because um, when we were debating the, the language uh, of this for Zenobia one, uh, Zenobia 21, you know, we debated and debated and debated and looked for language trying to make it as inclusive as possible, right? Um, and, uh, you know, if you don't know, it, at the time, you know, it was kind of coming out of the George Floyd, you know, um, Black Lives Matter motion, movement, and thinking about hard about, well, you know, what can we in the game space do to address our own issues, you know? Um, uh, and so, you know, our, our original thinking was kind of narrow and then we began to expand it and expand and expand it. Um, so figuring out where the boundaries are um, was very difficult and contentious isn't the right word, but no one was completely satisfied with what we did in Zenobia 1. So um, Liz's suggestion was, was taken with a lot of joy. And of course, we're going to see how well it works. Um, but uh, that took the weight off of us to determine what that means, and puts the weight where it belongs in the people who've got the agency, or feel they have a lack of agency, right? So,
2: uh, I think Christian said basically said said what I would have said only better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fair um, enough.
0: So the other thing that we have talked about changing, and I mean, I feel like we just let's just lay it out on the table, right? Like we're we're just covering it all here. Uh, is the price structure. So we had God. cash prizes uh, for the first iteration of Zenobia. And I'm actually not sure where we're at with what the prizes are. This time we've talked about it, but we've kind of tried to change that up a bit. Um, Christian, do you want to talk about where we're at with that right now? And then maybe a car? I'd be interested in what you think about that as somebody who has won a previous
1: Zenobia prize. Right, right. So, you know, <laughs> we, in Zenobia one, we didn't know how much money how we could get doma- donations if anyone would be willing to donate and then we found out wow people want to donate so we got this lump <laughs> of money um without a real plan for what to do with it right so um we didn't want to have that kind of structure again um what we've put the the committee that's working with the 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 dollars and cents issue um what they're thinking of doing is to give a smaller cash done, a smaller cash prize and have it coupled with um uh an airplane ticket to major convention where you can demo your work like that kind of um that kind of a useful item uh with a smaller cash cash prize um as well as perhaps some um prizes of materials that are in kind as compared to just in cash. So uh, that's where we are. That's where we are with that. It's still evolving. And I, I think that
2: um, I think a big portion of uh, these, this decision beyond what Christian said uh, is kind of making sure the focus of the, the award is correct. I mean, I, I think, I don't know how many people actually wanted to do this for the money. I think people generally wanted to do it because they wanted to kind of force them, themselves through the process of designing a game with mentorship, with community, and uh, try to get their name out there in a, in a forum that might get publishers to see uh, mm-hmm. their name. So I think that is more valuable than uh, cash prizes. So we're, we're trying to be more constructive with how the prizes are structured.
1: There are lots of people who, are, who were in uh, Zenobia 1 who are not per- people who are particularly of means, you know, and nothing to be farther from what we want is to give somebody a tax burden, you know, who, who may not have had to fool with that, right? So um, better to be more modest with the cash and um, y- something that can really help people because, you know, going to a major convention is out of the reach of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. right? So uh, that was the idea of trying to solve that. Well, if it's not out of the reach, it still like impacts your finances in a way, but then, you know, you think, well, I can't promo my work. I can't demo my work where the big, big eyes can get on it. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah, that is very, very, very true. Uh, so another big change, uh, as y'all might have noticed if you if, if you were tracking media for Zenobia One, everybody out there, uh, is that leadership has very much changed uh, because the I would say the originators I guess of this process were Volko, Rinky, mm-hmm. and um, oh, and Harold yeah. Buchanan, and so it's very interesting. You know, Zenobia was founded by two aging white men. Love to both of you though, if you're listening, we adore you. Um, <laughs> uh, and now it's been passed off. Uh, to us and so <laughs> and so um i guess you know I'm, I'm a big believer in real conversations right Like, has that made Zenobia to feel different in any substantial ways i mean like volko's still coming to meetings and stuff but you know do is it was it easier for them to get money and attention um did they do the right thing letting it go so soon to us i think we're doing a good job But you know, I think it's worth to like actually having the conversation and bringing it up because you know I I, I can't help myself
1: (laughs) doing a good job. Though we will see; the proof is in the pudding, as far as that's concerned, right? But um, you know, I can't judge that yet because I'm a new director. Um, I watched Volko with Zenobia One and Harold with Zenobia One. Um, and everything seemed to go very easily for them because of their personalities and because they're well-known. They didn't have any kind of hesitance to reach out to people. And what I've done as the director is to deputize people who have people they know. know, I, I specialize in history tabletop games for education, which is a very, very small bite out of the history tabletop game world, okay? And so I deputize people who have their feet in the history tabletop game design world who know people, who know the game des- developers, who know the game publishers, um, who know the people who are running the conventions, who know them on a first name basis. Go talk to your friends, go talk to your friends, go talk to your friends. So I deputize that to people who had those um, those connections. So you know, part of efficiency is using your connections uh, as well as you can. Um, so they don't seem to be having trouble this, on this uh, time, and most everybody that donated last time is excited to donate again. They're looking forward to getting a crack at those um, concept proposal, proposals that people will be writing up and seeing, you know, like, we were so very successful last time, they really want to see, okay, can we get our fingers on, you know, can we, can we get a hook into a, a new game, a new game designer that's up and coming? So uh, it hasn't been difficult in any of those kind of ways in terms of reaching out to the community because I have largely um, kept myself in kind of coordinating, uh, productive production, um, copywriting, copy editing kind of position and just coordinating people. Um, and I don't think that that has, you know, being a younger person, um, you know uh, not being known in the game world i don't think that that has uh negatively impacted uh, my experience at all i'm having a lot of fun i'm learning a lot of stuff uh, i'm getting inspired for my own game designs uh so all around it, it's uh it's good it's all good
2: Excellent. i'm curious yeah just to add to that i'm curious uh i think there will be some subtle differences given uh our uh, volunteer pool is a lot more diverse than it was last time. Uh, and I'm curious kind of the subtle differences that might create. Uh, we also have a lot of folks who were contestants last time who are participating as mentors, as judges. So I'm curious to see how they feel uh, being on the other side this time.
1: I'm very excited. I'm very excited. The idea of having um, you know our, our graduates come back um, just enriches the experience and builds more community their confidence and their experience from before is really going to help. I think new people going through, it's going to be really a good thing.
0: I also want to point out that was part of the hope from the very beginning. And so in that sense, I would say we're already seeing exactly the kind of success that we wanted to see, which is that the people who compete in Zenobia eventually turn around and help run Zenobia and help create more Zenobia. (laughs) Our job is Zenobia. Right. Make a verb
1: out of it to Zenobia.
0: Um, But yeah, I mean, that's, I think that is really delightful. I'm super excited too about, I guess, you know, this is sort of an initial conversation as we're about to launch Zenobia 2. And I hope that we get back together at the end of the process, like in the next podcast season where this competition is coming to an end and have a follow up conversation um, about what happened over the course of this year um because i think that'll be an interesting like two moments in time right where we can kind of see right now we have energy we, we are excited <laughs> that's <what I> think. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so this is I'm, I'm assuming that at least some of the people who are listening to this podcast will be people who intend to apply or who are interested in the application process at least so um I guess maybe it's just a very general question. In these very, very early stages, uh, what are we gonna be looking for? So we're gonna be taking applications that are very, very basic game proposals, and then we're gonna take larger concept proposals. So let's kind of stay focused maybe on those parts of the process, this is the earlier ones. What, what are we
1: looking for? We are first and foremost looking, f- looking for people who have thought through what it means to be underrepresented in the history tabletop game space okay, and can explain to us um, how their experience as an underrepresented game designer or their experience as an underrepresented game gamer, um, you know, how that shapes their thinking about their game designs, um, or, you know, how that has, you know, uh, how you will... Um, Address that issue of underrepresentation in your game design or in your um, participation in the design game space, the game design space. Um, so we're interested in in uh, uh, a little essay or a little video clip that's going to explain how are you underrepresented and how has that underrepresented it impact under underrepresentation impacted, you know, your experience. How is that underrepresentation? How are you going to utilize that in your game designs? So. That's a, a bite out of that that is very important to us in this very early stage. Um, we're uh, very serious. Your, history, your, game, your game design has to be historical, so we're checking to make sure it's history. Um, but more than anything else, it's the first, I think. That's the, the biggest thing. You know, what are you going to do with this experience? How is this experience going to change your, exp- your participation in the experience? How that's going to impact uh, history tabletop gaming? Picard, I'm sure yeah. there's something I'm missing.
2: Uh, I would also say, I mean, I, I think you got the core of it. I, I would also add that I'm, from my perspective, I'm most curious about what topics people choose uh, and kind of how they, how they portray the topics. Um, I mean, I saw last year, you looked through there were 145 participants and their, uh, their topics were so varied and from even even the ones that are on t- on subjects that have been gaming for is a completely different perspective. It, uh, kind of seeing the creativity in that from that way, I think is going to be really cool. In that in those first couple steps,
1: that is very so exciting total. and important. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So I'd yeah. encourage people to think through the topics, think through uh, what do you want to say and how do you want to say it, and you'll have a lot more time to develop them as the process goes through. But mm-hmm. just for that first step, I would say, uh, think through the topic and what are you saying? Why does it need to be
1: gamed? And Why does it need to be said? Right. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And again, you're not married to the exact thing that you said in this application, but yeah, that's, that's very much in line with what I'm going to be looking for as well, which is, you know, my, I guess, board game career obsession <laughs> is, uh, is games that say something meaningful. And so I will be looking for someone who has a really good sense of history and of a historical topic, but also something to say. Mm. And, you know, it's the marriage of historical grounding and interesting statement through a game um, that I'm going to be looking for. And so we've all put it different ways. Everybody's going to be looking through these applications is a different person, right? Who will kind of have their own sense of flavor. Mm -hmm. but I would say there's a a lot of consistency in what we all want as part of the mission. And it's that like, we're looking, we want to hear you through your game and we want to be in conversation with you about an interesting historical topic through your game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. And then the other thing that I kind of want to talk about is, you know, we talked about researching before doing prototyping. So what does it mean to research a game and how much depth are we Hoping for here,
2: so I would say the process of game design is very similar to the process of writing, like a college paper. Uh, a game needs to have an argument; it needs to have a thesis, uh, but it also needs to be playable. And so that's what makes it a lot harder than writing, in my opinion. Um, so, uh, and gaming fundamentally is an art of abstraction, and that's the big challenge. Is You're trying to make an argument. You're trying not to include everything because if you throw in everything, uh, you can't make a game. It's not going to be playable. It's going to be a faulty model. uh, And then you're not going to get anywhere with it. So you need to kind of develop your argument, think about the details, think about what you want to include and what you don't want to include, and Mm -hmm. then kind of piece that together. Uh, I found as I was doing research for Tyranny of Blood, it literally I was using the exact same process I did grad school, like getting through and saying, okay, I have a stack of 20 books, let me read them all. uh, And then let me kind of find chunks and put together an argument here.
1: I think that's really right. That um, an argument is not an opinion. An argument is something that is grounded in research. Um, No one is expecting you to anyone to do uh, historical research using primary documents. So if you haven't, that's great. But, you know, how familiar are you with the literature the, the the academic literature of the subject matter like you know uh wikipedia is not is not enough right you need to know um the, the the milieu behind or around the topic that you're trying to talk about in order to make a kind of an argument um you know in one of my games you know i make an argument that uh um, reciprocity, sharing, giving things back and forth, gifting that this is a major um, mechanism of economic activity, right? And I had to read a lot of Stone Age economics, you know, this kind of this kind of literature and extract that piece of the argument to build it insi- inside of a game. Then I could teach students about, you know, the Neolithic Revolution, okay? So um, that's an example that you have to read um you have to read
0: yeah i was gonna say that's matched my um my experience of game design in the last little while as well so doing night witches with david thompson has meant reading a lot about night witches and also just world war ii in general um you know just trying to make sure that i'm fully grounded in what i'm talking about and um yeah let's just say i have another historical game project coming up that's required a lot of research and my like the, my little coffee table next to my recliner in our living room is covered, covered, covered with reading material. It's driving my boyfriend crazy. Like, <laughs> um, I actually highly recommend embracing the research process because it is maybe just as much fun as getting down to brass tacks in another, in another month or so.
1: and <laughs> not to intimidate people. I, I don't believe that we are, I mean, there's a, a minimum number of resources that we're looking for. Um, you, you don't no. have to uh, research it the way, you know, a couple of PhDs and, you know, you know, those of us who are like trained researchers, you don't, ha- you don't have to, to, to do that, but, you know, you can identify the major writers on the topic or yeah. around the topic, right? Um, you can make yourself familiar with what their arguments are. You can yes. think about how those arguments, um, how you can leverage them into your game, right? Which of those arguments you want to leverage because you may find arguments that conflict or, or, or reflect different aspects of the subject matter, right? Um, and then you can be very selective about, okay, this is what I want to be saying in this particular game. Um, so you don't need to read the entirety of some secondary literature on some topic, um, but a good smattering
0: that will help you. I just read the entirety of everything because I'm a masochist. That's right. No, different.
1: no. That's just I mean, someone's <laughs> been wired that way. Someone's trained yeah. that way. Uh, but not everybody is. So don't no. don't over overthink it.
0: No. Uh, and the other thing that I do want to bring up too is that sometimes it's not just about research, it's about having cultural knowledge. So, for example, right. winter rabbit, which was one of those Zenobia finalists that was fascinating and mm-hmm. just great. Yes, there was research involved, mm-hmm. but also you know, it was a game that was just getting at a perspective that no amount of research could give me. Mm -hmm. In fact, probably the closest thing I got to grokking what the designer was saying was playing the game,
2: (laughs) 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 which was was awesome. I was going to bring that up, Liz. I think we can, one of the beautiful things about this process is we can go beyond the traditional academic uh, research process and, Mm -hmm. uh, as long as you can think through who the actors are, what sort of incentives they have, I think you just need to embody a perspective. It doesn't necessarily have to be a formal historical formal argument. Historical. A That's fair. Yeah.
0: Yes. It has to be informed, but it doesn't have to be like, actually one of the discussions that we had throughout Zenobia 2021 and going to this process. And it was something I want to emphasize before we maybe go into like, just like some final tips for people who might apply um, is when you are looking for games from diverse perspectives, Mm -hmm. you do not get to dictate very much about what those games look like, what they say, how they feel. The idea is that the game has to be grounded in historical research and reality so that it can be like a grounded comment on a historical situation. Um, But beyond that, there are really no limits because the idea is for your voice to come out in, in your game and for what you need to say to come out of the game. And nobody gets to dictate for you, like what that's supposed to look or sound like.
2: That's beautifully said. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to be one of the subtle differences of the new uh, cohort of mentors this year. Um, again, uh, I'll love and respect to uh, last year or last iterations mentors, but there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of war gamers in that group and mm. I, I love war games. I love war gamers. I am one, uh, but I think it'll be good to see kind of more variety in mentorship and judging and try to see how uh, different groups of people interpret what a game can look
0: like,
1: what history can look like. Right.
0: Christian, any thoughts on that? As somebody who does lots of different types of historical games.
1: No, I'm looking forward to that also. Um, I think that the people who started Zenobia One, uh, their 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 circle uh, had a lot of war gamers in it, a lot of well known war gamers, and so the first group of volunteers are people that they knew, uh, and the circle of volunteers has widened. Uh, we made a point of looking for more professional historians. Um, to you know be able to think about history in or be able to recognize history in more um, subtle or unique ways um and so hopefully uh the problem or the issue that you were experiencing and that some of the some of the contestants were experiencing from people who you know uh, have a a a deep a deep love of wargaming um hopefully that i mean this is partly why you have you know two or three mentors at a time so you don't just you know if you have one mentor and their way of thinking is just one direction, then that's not necessarily the most um, helpful thing. So hopefully that will um, begin to um, get ironed out uh, as Zenobia grows.
0: Definitely. So um, just kind of moving into the softy questions. I like those. Uh, if you're going to give one bit of advice to somebody who is thinking about applying for Zenobia, what should be all of you if you think that you fit the criteria <laughs> um you know what 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 advice would you give uh
2: i would say jump in head first don't uh don't let self-doubt stop you um the nice thing about the zenobia process is it's a it's kind of a boiling frog sort of thing um, <laughs> <laughs> i definitely uh and, and i definitely join with the intention of like oh the first step it's just Writing a one pager, I could do that. That'll take a couple hours. I could do that, and then it's like, oh, they accepted it. Oh no, now I have to do this next step. Oh wait, now I now I get to design a game. Oh god, how did I get here? <laughs> um,
0: you did it to say, yourself.
2: Yes, <laughs> but but that's that's kind of a beautiful thing, right? It's mm-hmm. it, it, if you imagine the idea of designing a game that's a, that's a huge impediment. Uh, versus, if you take it just one bite at a time, uh, mm-hmm. then it's not so bad. And I would say, I would say, if you have any interest whatsoever in this, any interest in history, if you've ever wanted to make a game, just go for it. That first step is pretty easy,
1: and uh, it's
2: you're not committed to anything by that first step. Just do
1: it. I like to encourage people to honor. Or trust or believe in the little tiny piece of history that got you really excited the first time you heard about it, and figure out how to design that as a game. You know, if you read, you know, um, you know, I'm trying to think of an example. You know, uh, I don't know Persian court poetry, <laughs> right? And you found out that, you know, culture was this, uh, the control of culture was this political tool, right? How can I make a game out of Persian poetry? Like take that and run with it. Don't think, well, nobody would be interested in that. Boy, people be interested in all kinds of things that you don't know about. So the thing you love is the thing that's gonna make the, the discomfort of designing, that's gonna make it doable if there's some topic you're like, well, I guess I could make another game about Rome <laughs> when you're really thinking about Persian court poetry, right?
0: Hey, hey. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm
1: so nice now. Right? <laughs> but I mean, another game about Rome. And there's always room for more games about Rome. But, you know, staying, no in, like in, the, staying in the safe area, right, of right. what you know people already make games about. Don't Don't do that to yourself because it's never fun to work this hard on something you don't care about right yeah so so follow your follow that little that little intuition inside of yourself it's a little sacred breath believe it honor it follow it do it
0: i like it i like that i i do think that um i guess my advice would be what i always tell my students which is that you want to be a person who makes things um and that means that sometimes the things that you make don't necessarily work out but you're still a maker Mm -hmm. if you do it And so you should take the leap and let that creativity come out because no matter how it ends, it's better to have created something that you don't want to stick with forever than to sit still and create nothing. Um, And the other thing is I would say that you might as well roll the dice on the Zenobia Award because the other thing is that it's promising you contact with other people who are doing the same thing. A community that's going to try to help you along. So no matter how far along you get this particular time around, you will have more support and more contact and you're more likely to get, I guess, that kind of that that push that you need than you would if you were sitting around by yourself. Mm. And so if you were thinking about taking the leap and you always hesitate, this is the sign to do it. The prophecy speaks to the podcast. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, and then just for fun, uh, what have y'all been playing recently that is bringing you some joy?
2: So I've been playing. Uh, uh, I've been playing a lot of uh, Matt Eklund's Station Fall recently. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I Highly recommend it if you haven't played it. It's. Uh, you, it's they call it the party game. Uh, the the heavy game for party or sorry the party game for heavy gamers and uh <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun you can do ridiculous things you can be a telepathic rat and encourage people to beat each other up and uh, uh blow up the news media uh, with a death laser it's great
1: <laughs> uh the oh, other
2: great God. game the other great game i played recently was uh, alex knight's land and freedom
0: oh that game's uh, so good
2: it's so good i uh <laughs> it, it's so good i th- that that blew my mind. What what sort of things you could do with uh, kind of very tight uh, mechanics? Great game.
1: Well, I am ashamed to say, see me hanging my head, I'm designing a game. I'm not playing a game. (laughs) Uh, And then I'm I'm working with Zenobia, so uh, I have not had time uh, or even a community that I have access to that I'm actually gaming with. Uh, Not even with my kids, they're all in school or they don't want to they don't play games with their old mother. So uh, I'm I'm designing right now.
0: That's awesome.
2: Are, are, you are you designing Christiane? Are you sharing that yet? Or
1: well so it, the <laughs> the game is called Big Bar and Bamboozle, Ooh. which was named it was named that way uh, by my by my kid who didn't like my original my original name. And their their suggestion of the name was so good that I I, I ran with it. Um, And that's the one I'm talking about, about the Neolithic Revolution, the early moment when human beings, you know, begin the process of using agriculture, becoming sedentary people. Um, And uh, now that I'm turning that from uh, a roll and write and turning it into a tabletop game, uh, the subtlety with which I can, um, the subtle subtle issues I can mechanize uh, Mm -hmm. are much more fascinating and I'm really excited about it.
2: That's great.
0: Oh, that's really cool. That's super cool um so i have been doing some design stuff yes Uh, i've been reviewing stuff for my channel but okay so this is my big guilty pleasure right now is that i've recently discovered the joys of playing obsession online on board game arena and i have got like five million games of obsession going. And so every so often I'll like be it's like passing period or it's lunch and I like look and it's like oh it's your turn and I'm like ha 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 and I go and host <laughs> an event on my estate and, <laughs> and keep going. Um, so that's actually been like a great pleasure for me to rediscover that game and just get in a bajillion plays of it by finding people online to play with. It's been super great actually.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> good. good. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, And then if people want to find you online, contact you, follow your work, uh, where can you be found?
1: You can find me on Twitter at X-P-E-L-I-C-I-O-U-S at x That's where you can find me on Twitter.
2: Uh, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really tweet anything. So uh, you can try following me. It'll be boring, though. But uh, at Akarsb. Um, and you can also follow Tyranny of Blood on BoardGameGeek Geek and uh, hopefully we'll have some developments to share pretty
0: soon. Beautiful. And I, of course, can be found anywhere as Beyond Solitaire. I'm definitely the most terminally online of the three of us. <laughs> so by all means, reach out. <laughs> but uh, thanks to both of y'all for coming on. I just love hanging out with you guys anyway. So this is always fun. Uh, but again, thank you so much for your time and for for coming on and letting me record one of our chats instead of just having it on Zoom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you for having us.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot. This was a lot of fun.
0: Uh, and everybody out there, please like, subscribe, comment, ask questions. And most of all, happy gaming.